0: back um for beginner episode number two it was a lot of fun the first time so uh excited to do this again hey me
1: too it was really great fun last time so i'm really looking forward about talking about guards yeah Yeah. so
0: um let's kind of jump into it um i think we've got a lot to cover um so um on guard gentlemen (laughs) all right so the anonymous he says um you know he's got lots of like Amazing wisdom nuggets, uh, mm. and he he always kind of pulls through uh, when you need him to just kind of say something that's profound. And he has this one quote on guards where he says, "But you must utilize this judgment in any guard or placement at which you have set yourself against your enemy, because there is always a great variety of attacks that you can make from one or the other setup." And note that you can ruin your guard by just keeping your sword half a finger too high, mm-hmm. too low, or off to one side. Even this is just by a hair's breadth. Because the sword passes and enters so many small positions that it boggles the mind. Yeah. Going yeah. on. Yeah, I know. So what let's um let's kinda of talk about that for a second. I mean, is this is this like do we need to be T-boat level? precise with everything that we do with the sword or are we are we thinking is the Anonymous just being really just kind of prophetic here
2: all right where do we start so I'm going to say that the Anonymous is right and that there is a absolutely (laughs) proper position into which you place your sword and if you place it the wrong way by a millimeter or two you can totally change the game Uh, we can get into that more specific uh later um And that essentially, in my experience with the Anonimo, you place the sword and then you build your body position, your guard, around the placement of that sword. Hmm. And that uh, some of the attacks in the Anonymo are then later done when your sword is going, falling into guard. And that's why we have a great variety of attacks because depending upon where your hand position is in the previous attack and the
1: guard you're going into, different actions make different sense.
0: That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. What do
1: you think, Martin? Yeah, I think so. I'm going with the instructor's bread and butter answer and say, it depends (laughs) because of course um, it completely depends on what you're trying to achieve with that guard. And in that case, if you have a specific goal in mind and if you divert from that guard in some case or form, then of course, well, you might present an opening that you didn't thought uh, that was there. So that might be really disadvantageous. But then again, any position that we are in, and to quote Vijani, like uh, when he says, that when you lie calm and settled in some form with arms, either in order to attack or defend, that, that settlement in that position, in that composition of the body, in that guise, in that form I call a guard. So there are a great many of guards, and we are here mainly discussing the ones that you, the authors like to use. But there are of course way more than that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I guess my answer is in between. It depends, and yes. So it, like, if we have like an Overton square, <laughs> Overton window of like where do we all land? I'm gonna land like squarely in the middle of you two. Um, I think that most people. I think their problem with sword fighting is that they don't actually parry in guards. Um, I think that they they do their best to cover the sword, and they will get their sword in the way of their opponent's attack, but not necessarily that they parry in a guard. Um, and I think that I think I think that's something as a community we can stand to improve on, um, mostly because I think. We see it later on in the tactical advice that Manchilino and Morato give, um, where they talk about how every guard should be followed with a counterattack, and that a lot of times these positions that we're forming are formed in a way where they should have a built-in offense, um, sort of like like you should be forming a position with your body, forming a structure where you can mm-hmm. you can easily counterattack out of it. So mm-hmm. that's how I feel. Okay. Mm-hmm might be a hot take there but
2: <laughs> no know. it doesn't, doesn't sound no it sounds i mean well certainly for point and line guards you know the parries from guardia alta are probably a bit limited uh, well yeah but or like guardia alta as a parrying position is probably a bit limited although it's not objectively when your sword is moving up like that you're in a kind of guardia alta position you can catch that with the false edge there but yeah you're definitely for the the Streta guards that, yeah. that's a pretty apt apt description
0: yeah. Like, I mean, if we were to think about like guards as like two positions of rest between movement, which is yeah. the way that the uh, Gianni kind of describes it. And we'll talk about that when we talk about tempo. Um, but with uh, with this one in particular, you know, like what you were talking about with Gordia Alta. A lot of times you see that, like when we were talking about Manchiolino before, where you throw that rising falso, that, uh, mm-hmm. that montante, um, and yeah. that montante is usually the action, but it rise, it goes from, it starts in Gordialta, and it goes right back to Gordialta. So it's like, right. you know, it's kind of like, it's like you're in between. So Yeah, I right, think so. that's
1: really important uh, to keep in mind, right, that the guards are the framing points of every action that we can take in that system, basically. Because yeah. every blow will start from a guard, it will end in a guard, and every motion, every engagement of the swords will be in some kind of guard.
2: And it's also when you're building out kind of your chain of if-then sort of things, is the they most of the time people just withdraw, and so you need to finish in a guard so you can then begin the next thing. A lot mm. of times people want to start a compound action, but they just back up, and then you have to be in a guard to then keep the momentum going
1: yeah and in that sense i think the guards are sometimes even more important than the actual text that the authors are using because um it describes way more precisely where the sword and the body will be at some point in space where the attacks can be fairly generic the guards Mm -hmm. are fairly precise and they can also like i said uh, frame the action as well and give us some (laughs) additional information about these strikes right yeah
0: yeah like I think, and and that's kind of one of the things that I think is really interesting. Like you, you brought up uh, being having a scientific mindset as well, Martin, um, in the last episode. And I I can I can definitely you know see the world through that lens. And you know a lot of times when you're kind of putting together any sort of a scientific study, you you determine your knowns, and when you have variables, it's you want your variables to be in between knowns. And then you try to fill in that information as much as you possibly can. So if you can get to like 75, 80% confidence on your, your middle between your, your solid knowns, then, you know, you start to gain confidence. And that's how you can actually determine your overall confidence in your theory, right? And so that's kind of one of the beautiful things about this. And, you know, it's like you were saying, um, you know, if there is some level of variability or even like uh, opportunity for, Uh, changing things in a way, like sometimes it feels like that happens in between like guards, right? Like what does that footwork look like? You know, that's something you Mm -hmm. might be able to kind of play with and manipulate a little bit, but the position that you're going into should be known. So let's talk about them. Uh, We've got low guards, high guards, wide guards. Mm -hmm. What's all the fuss? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, let's, um, let's kick it off with low guards. Let's, uh, let's get low. Okay. Um, so, um, Martin, Cora Longa Stretta, what's it good for?
1: All right, so um, yeah, let's start with the Cora Longa Guards. So the Cora Guards are protecting basically your outside. So the, as a right-hander, the sword would be on your right-hand side. And in Cora Longa Stretta specifically, well, it's more of a special guard, to be honest, because um, all these guards have different kinds of um, adjectives describing the height of the hand and maybe the place of the feet, and Kullalonga Stretta especially for I think all the authors except the Anonymous, is fairly special in that it's just with the right foot forward and the sword is pointing towards the opponent. Stretta or Stretta in that case can mean close, can also mean constrained, so there might be some point of either sword in present, so um, the actions are not free right we are always dealing with that danger of the opponent's sword yeah so in conclusion right foot forward sword on the outside point forward
0: yeah how about you steven
1: um i have a slightly different take on it um i mean
2: kind of so so i kind of think actually the primary good the basic guard to understand everything from is porta di ferro Stretta. that's basically sword dominating the center pointing at the bad guy okay and I think I'd I'd like to liken it to chess. So Porta di Stretta, when you're coming into especially side sword alone, is kind of your king's pawn opening. You're like okay, boom, I'm moving into the center. Okay, and your opponent can respond also with a king's pawn. You get the king's game, um, or you can go into Coda Lunga Stretta, or be in Coda Lunga Stretta, and that's sort of like a French defense sort of. I'm not a, sorry. A Sicilian defense position where you're essentially besieging uh, your opponent's weapon from the side. So Cordelungo has a really cool superpower because the angulation of your body goes towards the outside, so that if you if they're on your outside, the structure of your body will naturally be pushing against their weapon, and they're forced to resist your body with their lame arms. Arms are lame right? Hips are where the action's all at. But here's the cool part about Cotolunga Stretta. The the sword is held slightly sideways, as the anonymous specifies, which means that if they then code to the inside, you have uh, the angular advantage on the inside as well. It really creates a problem for anyone. And that's kind of how, at least my understanding, is you break porti di Ferro Stretta by going into Cotolunga Stretta so then you have advantage on either side. It's very annoying. Uh yeah. That's my hot take.
0: No, that's that's actually um I I actually really like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because that's uh, trying to think about how deep I want to go into this because that's that's how I see the mechanics of something like the falso and puntanto working. Because Pray tell. Well, because you always see a left foot step out of coda stretta. With the falsehood of so For the most part, uh, it's not right. always true. But right. for the most part, you see a left foot step. But it's that you're basically stepping from Codalonga Strata into Chingyari Porta de Ferro Strata. Which is such right. a... You're going from...
2: Such a hips boss coil. move.
0: Yeah, because you're going from yeah. hips coiled to the right, right to hips coiled to the left. You know? That's right. It, it's like hips yeah. to the right, hips to the left. You're like you're just like shifting that body across. And you're, you're literally putting pressure on your opponent's sword with your core
2: right which is a lot for instead them instead of resist. with your arms yeah right and right. that's what and makes us different than the rapier kids exactly the angulation of the body is what drives um our our art so yeah, i think it's <laughs> really important the twirly to, stuff yeah,
1: yeah really important to once again talk about the body rotations mm-hmm. we touched on it last time when talking about attacks but especially in these Porta di ferro and cola longa guards. The turn of the body is so essential. So yep. in cola longa we have, like you said, the chest forward, chest open kind mm-hmm. of guard, heart pointing forward, or maybe a frontal position, something like that. While in um, porta di ferro we have the profiled position with a dominant shoulder pointing forward. Right. So another source I would like to bring in here is also Angelo Vigiani, which mm-hmm. doesn't call yeah. that guard cola longa Estreta. But it's actually his seventh guard, and he mm-hmm. calls it offensive, perfect, and uh, stretta as well. Mm-hmm. So it is still for the close play. It is offensive, or uh, because it's on the right side of the body, so it's on the outside, and it's perfect because the point is in presence. So now let's talk a bit about why it's maybe, or um, why I think it's uh, an offensive guard. Well having that potential for the turn of the body. So being in a frontal guard with the right shoulder, so the dominant shoulder turned back, that gives us some some range to play with. So if we want to attack, we usually have like the extension of the feet to gain some range. We have Mm -hmm. the um, lifting of the hand to gain some range. But if we are in a frontal position, we can also now turn into a profile position, getting our right shoulder up front and basically getting the half of our body with as an additional range basically it's also offensive because well while presenting that heart that chest towards our opponent well it entices them to attack as well Mm -hmm. so we have that these two components right we we we're presenting a bigger opening but we can also in the offense uh, gain some additional range and yeah basically we're trying really to close them out generally on the outside enticing them to attack us on our inside.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's interesting too, like um, this is, so I think I'll start with this, I think that Morazzo and Manchialino both agree with Vigiani. Um, and, and there's like Morazzo says, it's called Cota la Mastretta and that it's equally good for attacking as it is for parrying, mm-hmm. and um, that's a important kind of uh point there in that he says it's equally good for parrying because you know, we get this statement from Manciolino where he says that the low guards, in particular, um, are good for uh, are primarily good for defending. And Murazzo agrees with that. He says the same thing. He says that the the, the low guards are best suited for defending. Um, but you know, it, here um, you know Murazzo oftentimes give you a lot of different stuff, but um, he does he does kind of explain that the nature of some of these guards, whereas. You know, Manchilino kind of goes into the uh, the etymology of the term. Um, says, "Do not embroil yourself with great masters, for they have a long tail." Uh, kind of giving us the mm-hmm. origin of this this terminology of uh, "coda lunga That is that they have the power to injure you by means of their numerous followers. Um, and I think there is a lot of creativity that kind of comes from "coda lunga because there is so much you can do. Um, but I think that um, to kind of like come back to your point, uh, especially. Uh, with longa 2, not only is it like great because it has so much offensive variability, I think it also is great because um, usually when you're attacking, because you have that hip forward position in Cotalonga strata, when you go to attack somebody, you're generally going to go to a profile position. So you're going to send that right shoulder forward, which is the longest you are ever going to be reaching towards your opponent, right? Like that's that's a way to maximize your length. So if you can find yourself defending, as you often do in like paladini or in a lot of the rapier sources, or even in Daligocchie, for example, where you're parrying in Seconda or Cordia de Entreri, as, as Daligocchie calls it, uh, which is kind of like becomes the bread and butter standard. Um, you see then like there, it's almost like you've got your hips turning towards your opponent when you make that Seconda parry or that Cordia de Entreri parry that you see in, in Dalagoque. And then you send the shoulder forward, and that's when you can start to develop your, your lunge behind it. You engage your lap muscles. Your arm starts to come forward. You know, you kind of lean into your structure there. Um, so there's there's kind of a, a length, uh, like a hidden length component that comes with it too. So we line the body up. So it's
2: cool. Yeah, so I, would, I kind of think it's more offensive because I believe Mancholino kind of explains Bolognese philosophy is you throw an attack to induce your opponent to attack you, to defend that opponent's attack, to hit them. And Cotolunga Strada is sort of a natural inviting position. First, as Martin says, you're staring with your chest open, with your heart facing your opponent, basically saying, come on, big boy, you got this, right? And then the ideal attack from there uh, especially with the sword loan, is the Mandritto into cinghia da di ferro stretto, or the wild pig, as I like to call it, um, which is the best position in which to receive an attack and completely ruin your opponent's day.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think you get there going forward and backwards too. So, yeah. mm-hmm. what were you going to yeah.
1: say, Martin? Yeah, I really think that that play on the words with the big following in Cola Longa um can also just mean that while well, the most natural attacks out of these uh, low guards especially the stretter guards where the points already pointing forwards is the thrust well there are a lot of great follow-up actions after extending the thrust with uh, elongating the body basically and then turning around throwing that mandrito either high low or maybe even going to the other side so there's a big uh, like a lot of opportunities to attack around the opponent's blade if you got them already reacting. So there's a lot of what can follow up from that act kind of action. I will also say that Longa, especially Stretta, is especially nice against left-handers. Mm. Oh, yeah. Because it protects your your sword hand quite well.
2: Yeah, it protects your outside and lets you throw those Mandritos to their sword hand. Or if they try to go around and let you throw the Reverso to their sword hand. Yeah, that, that's that's fun. I like that a lot.
0: Or Marazzo's favorite, which is attacking them with a false impuntanto, like into their soul.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> which is fun. Um, so, yeah, I think before we talk about the rest of the low guards, we should probably kind of emphasize too, um, and I think this speaks to, to what Martin just said uh, specifically, is that like one of the things, and we'll talk about this more when we get to tactics, is that um, Manciolino says specifically that the low guards, the only natural attack is a thrust. And mm-hmm. a falso, um, and and that has a lot to do with tempo, which again we'll, we'll kind of talk about in a minute. But um, you know, it is it is interesting that um, you know we we are almost kind of like forced into kind of leading with thrust with these actions uh, versus allowing them to kind of follow with cuts uh, as their primary action. Uh, but we see that in explained in, in Vigiani as well. So mm-hmm. we, we might touch on that a little bit as we're kind of going through some of these. I just want to kind of put it out there so people are aware yeah
1: Yeah, there's definitely like a thought on the most direct action any guard can perform and that is uh, especially present in vijani as well who says well out of any guard you can basically throw any kind of attack but there is some kind of attack that is more direct and therefore more dangerous because you have less time to react to it yeah yeah
0: yeah so sometimes it's it's better to be prepared for the one that's most dangerous and then you know kind of read read and react to the things that might be less so um so let's move on to kodalonga alta um how about oh, this one Martin?
1: you want to take that away martin yeah sure so basically in dalagokia like i said it, uh, the kodalonga kind of site is a bit strange because everything is on your outside but especially the difference between stat and art is just for Dalla at least, which uh, foot is actually forward. So in Kula Longa Stretta, the right foot's forward and you're in that frontal position with the right foot maybe even a bit turned uh, towards your right side, so towards the outside, to get that nice frontal position. And in Kula Longa Alta, well, you don't need that diagonal foot, but because you have just your left uh, foot forward, so it's fairly easy to withdraw your dominant side a bit, to make all of the same kind of actions, basically just from the other side forward. However, that uh, modifier Alta can also just signify how high the hand is held. And that's especially, for example, present in Marozzo, who has his curla-longa Alta with the hands quite a bit higher. So while strata is uh, usually the hand close to the knee, maybe hip height, Alta is maybe sternum height.
0: Yeah, how about
1: you, Stephen? How about you, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, what does the yeah, I mean so, say? Because that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know,
2: the Anonymous basically has Cotolunga Stretto with the left foot forward. He has a Cotolunga Alta, but it's not a particularly important guard. So I'm just going to go ahead and refer to the Anonymous Cotolunga Stretto with the left foot forward because that's a useful and very important guard in the Anonymous. And again, um, so one of the, think, the things that's great about Cotolunga Alta is it's yeah, you guys, tell me your experience with this as well, but it's the best guard to teach students right from the get-go. So a brand new person can usually form Cota Alta right off the bat. It's hard to get somebody to stand in a strata because that involves a weird position for their body. And, you know, people are kind of lazy when it comes to fort forming Porta di Ferro Strata because it's uncomfortable to put your body into the necessary profile. But if you give somebody a sword, you say, all right, put your left foot forward and have your chest face me, they will just sort of naturally drop into uh Cota Lunga Alta. Has
1: that been your guys' experience as well? Yeah, for me, definitely. So like throwing anything towards your inside, that would be Porta di Ferro, of course, with the mm-hmm. With a right foot forward, but on the on the other side, yeah, from the outside, left foot forward's way easier because that's also the natural step that you would take while throwing a reverso, so a blow from a non dominant side.
0: Yeah, I've, um, I think I've had relatively similar experience. It's easier. I usually cool. start with sword and buckler, folks and koto longalta.
2: Yeah yeah I think they, they the sources seem to kind of agree on that, so for me, the most important thing about guards is not so much the position of the sword, so I really teach four guards because there's four basic body positions you get into in Bolognese swordsmanship. Cotalunga Alta is the other the second of the body positions stre is you know the first that we mentioned um mm-hmm. but one of the cool things about Cotalunga Alta is it's a convenient place from which to throw uh reversos and thrusts and mandritos. You can kind of make each any of those blows fairly quickly and ergonomically from uh Kotalunga Alta. Uh, you can make reversos in multiple ways, so preparing on the outside like a Molinetto or bringing in, which is strangely the motion that uh, Morozzo refers to as a squalambrato. So I always thought that was a little bit of a weird bit there. Um but yeah I think Kotalunga Alta is a great guard a great guard to just start uh, teaching people with Um, yeah I mean I could go wax on poetical about it but it's fantastic it's the third most used guard in the Anonymous Bolognese for a good reason
1: I think it's uh, especially useful if you have a defensive offhand weapon so Mm -hmm. like a buckler or a shield Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that kind of body position will just naturally bring your left shoulder your left hand forward where you can then work with a nice big cone of defense, so especially right. uh, hiding behind your defensive implement, basically. Yeah. Oh, and also it has it's also useful for teaching beginners because the footwork out of there is
2: almost always a passing step, and it's much easier to teach students mm-hmm. to pass uh, than it is to teach them to step sideways with their front foot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the downside is because it's left foot forward, it usually tends to be a little bit slower in execution, so... Uh, Usually, I I find that when I'm fencing in Cotolunga Alta, it's as a result of either having given ground, like basically having passed back and ended up there, uh, or, you know, going forward and there retreating. So, what's your take on it, Joshua?
0: Yeah, so, um, I think that one of the beauties of Cotolunga Alta is that um, it has a sort of baked-in continuation mechanic, um, uh, which is really Mm. interesting, where, um, you know, you're starting – I, I do mine a little more of a hips to the side, so I allow my hips to profile to the right when I'm in Cotalonga Alta mm-hmm. with my left foot mm-hmm. forward, um, just so that way I have like more hip rotation going through when I go through mm-hmm. my progression. But when I get that first step in, let's say we're defending against a thrust, right? I might do something like a Mesomandrito, like what we talked about in the last episode, where I'm making that half cut down on top of my opponent's sword. So I might be doing a Mesomandrito or a, a mesavolta with the hand to do the Mesomandrito. Um, over top of my opponent's sword, right? And that puts me in a hip profile to the left position. Now I'm in, in Porta de Ferro Stretta, right? So I'm in a ready-to-go in my next position. And, of course, from Porta de Ferro Stretta, my most natural thing to do is to send either forward either a Falso. So if my opponent withdraws off of like their thrust and comes around and attacks me with a Reverso, then I can easily parry with a Falso. Or if, I, if they stay with my sword over top of theirs, then I just allow my hips to then rotate forward by going up onto my back, the toe of my back foot. And I yep. send a thrust forward in Gordia de Faccia, like what we see in, in Morazzo's defense against the thrust. And now I'm stabbing mm-hmm. them in the face. Um, and so you've got these like really beautiful baked in body mechanics with something like Cota Alta. Um, and it, it's an interesting guard in that um, it is something that we see uh, talked about as, like, a guard for, for everything that you can do. Uh, Moronzo says um, that this guard is useful. Uh, it's a useful guard in which to be patient. So it's a good guard to defend mm-hmm. it. It's something that he prefers that you would defend it. And for this reason, you should tell your students that if they find themselves in some quarrel, that they must adopt this guard first when facing their enemy for their defense and make them understand um, what they can do therein, pro and contra. Um, so it's interesting that he says that. That's kind of like like if you're in a serious encounter, that's that's the guard that Maranzo wants you to hold. Um, but then again, when we see him fighting with the uh, the sharp sword and the sword alone, um, that's that's mm-hmm. where he gives all of his thrust defenses, right? And and you can kind right. of see that as the beginning of whatever exchanges um, that might come out of that. So um, he, it's it's a guard that he definitely wants you to hold and he he prioritizes. Um, and of course. Um, Manchilino doesn't give us a lot uh, other than just kind of like talking about the posture. Um, he does say, you know, it does seem like there's a, a mechanic of the hand always kind of being a little more extended in Kodalong Alta, um, which is uh, is interesting. But, I mean, it could be uh, a consequence of the name also being alta tai Uh, and -hmm. and the sword is kind of reaching forward you have to you kind of have to project the the sword a little bit further forward um, simply because if you do have your hips profiled off to the side versus profiled towards your opponent when you're in Cota Longa Alta um, you're going to have the limitation of your left shoulder is going to be forward um, which can also be a nice provocation for your opponent because you're inviting them to attack you on that left shoulder um, and the sword is kind of recessed but then you can easily step into your defense or step away if you have to, mm. or step off to the side um, sure. and kind of get that cover. So,
2: Cool. I think we have done Cotolunga Alta.
0: I think so. I think we did it justice. So um, yeah. how about some... Uh, you know, do you want to talk a little bit of heavy metal? You want to talk about Porta de Ferro <laughs> Heavy
2: metal. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Iron Maiden Guard. <laughs> <laughs> All heavy metal is just worse and worse variations of iron maiden <laughs> now that i
0: completely disagree with so i made i made a really bad take on on medieval movies saying that dragon heart was the best in the last episode steven but i'm gonna i'm gonna criticize you for that one
2: metallica is just iron maiden played not as well but fast
0: <laughs> oh God. No, you just you, you be careful man they've got a cult follower <laughs> all right, so yeah, let's let's about to talk about Porta de Ferro, the Iron Gate. Um, uh, Martin, what do you think about Porta de Ferro, Stretta?
1: Yeah, so um, basically, it's one of the favorite guards of I think all of the Bolognese authors, and earlier and later certainly as well. For Vigiani, it's his fifth guard, and it's still Stretta. It's defensiva, so it's defensive and perfect. And really that turn of the body into the profile position like just presenting the side of the body towards your opponent um, while having the sword on the inside still close to the knee so the hands fairly low out of the way uh, points forward that presents such a little opening that this is such a great position to defend yourself in and it's also not only a great starting position but also a great position to get yourself in after you invited, for example, an attack to your inside while standing in Longa. So usually, here, the false edge would be pointing towards your outside, so the right side as a right-hander. And even if they disengage, right? Even if they disengage, you have your sword hand fairly towards the middle, then your following action, the metzovaulter with the hand that you described. So a little turn of the hand, that's a super quick motion. If you stand in that profile position, and so it's it's really awesome to defend you on all sides.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. What about you, Steve?
2: Yep, state? so um, so it's two thing two things I'd like to make about Porta de Ferro So I guess in the, our previous analogy we talked about chess. And as I said, I kinda think of that Iron Gate, Porta di Ferro as the king's opening. It's your your most basic move because as Martin pointed out, it's really the one that presents the smallest target to your opponent if you form the guard correctly i find most people uh don't turn their chest away enough and uh, and do their shoulder because it is uncomfortable and i I probably don't as much as i should either um so i always try to tell my students if your enemy can see where your heart is located then you're not turned enough because that's the biggest problem most people have they try to parry in iron gate and the opponent can do the you'd call fossil impotanto where you just roll the hand up to engage that false edge and you can poke somebody right over their heart there. But if you have the correct profile, you actually can't. Um, So I think that's important. Also, having the profile means when you move in the stringere technique, that is, as I do it at least, where you're both engaged on the inside and you move laterally towards your opponent to gain the position of advantage, the more in line you are, the more strongly you will set their weapon aside. Um, Yeah. So the downside, I think of it, it's not a very good invitation because you're moving into a position in which you look pretty darn covered.
0: <laughs> it, it's not. It's not very inviting. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I mean, we, <laughs> we kind of see that a little bit. Doesn't like the Anonymous tell you to like cheat with your guard a little bit, like make it make it like enticing for your opponent. Um. In the in those like he goes through that like brief spell and like I think it's like maybe seven through 13. I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked, but he, he kind of like get, he's, he talks about like, kind of like letting it drift a little bit or like, like kind of like letting it, keeping, keeping the guard open, um, to, to create that provocation a little bit. I think Uh, he might say something about that, but not, not for all of them, but just in, in one specific play. But, um, while you uh while you, while you look that up, Steven, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get my, my take here on Porta de Ferro Stretta. Um so uh, I love Porta de Ferro Stretta. Um I mean it's obviously uh, it's Morato says um a Porta de Ferro Stretta that sword would fall in Porta de Ferro Stretta or Lagra, or moreover, um, he would have you to be patient if you were in that guard, um, and then to stay fixed in that guard as it seems um, to me that no one who is in Porta de Ferro Strata or Larga can do, cannot do many attacks, but I tell you truthfully that quite a lot of parries can be performed, namely Falsi with Mandriti and Reversi, of such nature as seems best to you, uh, or you can parry in Gordia de Facia or in Gordia de Testa, or in some other fashion as I've taught you, which we'll talk about those guards in a little bit. Um, and then uh, Michieleno says this guard is called Porta de Ferro Stratta by, vir- vir- by the virtue of being safer than the others, um, and for its iron-like strength, unlike Porte Ferro Larga, which you will see next in the guard of the sword, now held tightly close to the opponent while keeping an equally tight defense of the right knee. So, um, I, what can I say about Porte de Ferro Strada? It was one of those guards where I think, um, like, as a sorta Alone, maybe because of uh, my early influence of both Morazzo and Daligocchi together. Uh, I think that I, I kind of had this weird emphasis of, of chillin' and, and Cotolunga Stretta. Um, and it, it took me a while to like really like fall in love with Porta de Ferro Stretta until I started really studying Manchialino like four or five years ago. And then now, I mean, it's my bread and butter. I, I You know, people, I, when they fence against me, they notice and they're like, wow. You're in Porta de Ferro a lot. And I'm like, yeah, come and attack me.
1: <laughs> 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 Please. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how I feel. I don't know. Yeah, cool. especially with the with the sword alone. Either two handed or one-handed Porta de Ferro Strata is such a such a great guard. And it's probably also why we see it so much in tournaments. Even if people don't know that they're doing Porta de Ferro Strata, they mm-hmm. do some kind of version. Some, and, yeah, yeah. some version I, of it and I agree with, with Stephen that um, the most common mistakes with Porta di Ferro Strette is not turning the body enough, so Giovanni Dallagocchio would uh, describe that kind of thing as performing two parries, one with the blade so hiding behind your blade on the one mm-hmm. side, but also turning the body away from the opponent as well so especially right. if you're engaging the opponent on the inside, so for a right hander that would be the left side then you want to turn your left shoulder as far back as possible and you need some good mobility in the hips to do that right. so you might want to stretch those adductors <laughs> and not fall into yeah that, so that's a pitfall uh, there when you don't turn enough that you're moving your hand too much to the inside so to walk too much towards the left and there's also something i see a lot when people perform that uh, parry perry and guardi di faccia so that counter thrust or in german would be absetzen or anything like that that they're Pushing their hands so much to the left that they're leaving a huge opening on their outside. So if it works, it works. But if not, you're pretty much always get thrusted in the meantime as well if they do something.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's pretty interesting. I it, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think you know, kind of one of the the body mechanics that I think is is really important about Porta de Ferro Strada in particular is that um, I think the iron gate almost is that hip chambering off to the side you know um and and if you don't if you don't use your hips like if you don't have your hips coiled and prepared for your next action then you're kind of like losing what makes portza de ferro what it is like and what's really good about it um and the falso that comes from it that goes into Gordia de facia um like you said like the way that i think uh, Manciolino uses it with the sword alone is brilliant in that he's basically almost kind of going to uh, like in, in what you see in the KDF system where he's going to just control the center with his Gordia de Faccia, you know, with that falso that goes. He's just controlling the center to kind of like make his opponent attack around the fact that he has now controlled the center. You know, and, and Stephen has made a lot of chess analogies about um, kind of in, in a lot of these openings in chess, your your whole attempt is to just control the center. And I think that's exactly right. what, it, what Porta de Ferro does is it's a passive way to control the center. Like you're, you're doing it from a defensive position, but that gives you initiative because going into that falso and keeping that arm forward and well-extended like Murato, or like Manchilino suggests, um, with those hips now profiled and turning towards your opponent, Allows you to really control the the center and, and force your opponent to kind of work around you, get bigger tempos because they're gonna have to cut right, and you then can you can just do a small like quarter turn of the hand doesn't even have to be a half turn of the hand, you know right, and then and then the anonymous just like yes, <laughs> uh, that's like <laughs> the beautiful fencing right, that's exactly yep. what he wants you to do. He says that's the art. So cool.
2: Yeah, and that's the third body position. So that's the right foot forward body and profile position. Maybe we should talk about the fourth body position now—the really the coolest of all the low guards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, um, Chingiari Porta de strata Yeah, Pigs. the
2: pig. The pig. <laughs> Take it, Stephen. <laughs> all right, I love this one. So that's that's kind of our joke in our group that eventually we're gonna make ourselves a battle flag with a pig. When we made our little group emblem, it's like a, a nasty looking pig. Um. So the pig is awesome, so the pig is basically a mirror of Cota Lunga so instead of your body being positioned to completely control the outside, your body is now positioned to completely control the inside, your right foot, or I'm sorry, your right shoulder points at your opponent along with your right foot pointing at your opponent while your left foot points off to the side. Um, and what's great about it is if your opponent is foolish enough to come to the inside of your sword, they because of the positioning of your body, they they can't do anything there and you have the world's easiest passing step thrust kind of thing that you can do. So inevitably they want to tarry on the outside line. However, for some reasons that I don't quite entirely understand, when you come out of pig, you—it's like you're being shot out of a t-shirt cannon. Like you just have so much force with your body projecting, kind of at that diagonal line from pig, that you will just push anything away from you, and so you can find your opponent's sword and um, crush through their guard. This is one of the key parries in or key act, early actions. In the anonymous, I think it's play eighteen. That's uh, right around play eighteen where you cut from Cordolunga Strada into the pig, mm-hmm. and then they end up on your outside, and they either attack you or they don't attack you, and you just simply step at them and push their sword aside and poke them in the face, and it's some serious bread and butter stuff there. And and also the best, the two other great things about pig, and then we'll move on because I really I'm passionate about this guard here. Okay, Let is that, that it looks. It looks inviting. I mean, this is like it's so badass, and then it looks like you've made a tactical mistake. Mm-hmm. So it induces somebody to attack you when you where you want to be attacked. Unlike Strata, which doesn't really look like a mistake, Pig looks like a mistake, and that's just, oh, it's just beautiful. Um, and it works in all the guard in every Bolognese weapon combination that I'm aware of, with the possible exception of the glove fighting you end up in pig at some point. It's pretty awesome in the two-handed sword. It's pretty awesome in the uh, sword and shield variations. The pig is just
1: where it's at. Please take it away, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, it really is the might of the twist, right? Might of the twist <laughs> combined yeah, yep. with a yep. profiled body position. Yeah. I'll say that in Gingara Portifero, it's even more important than in Kula Longa Stretta that you probably need to turn your forward foot a bit towards the on the diagonal to oh, really yeah. get that twist going. So here it's even more important to really stand in that profile position just like again in Porta di Ferro Strata to not give that big opening towards your outside line. And if you describe it like that then I get also the, the anonymous description While well, it really matters. Every inch matters here because yep. if that outside opening is too big well then your Cingara Porta di Ferro Strata will just fail. It also looks quite enticing, I agree, because that right foot is trailing behind you and it looks Mm -hmm. like an opening, but it's so far back, basically, that it's never a target uh, that it's realistically struck. So especially with that guard, you will parry almost anything towards your outside, either using the false edge or even with the reverse of the true edge, thrusting into Embrocata or any other awesome follow-up action from there. So yeah, I really agree. It's... It's fairly special towards the Bolognese, uh, Bolognese authors because left foot forward not that commonly used, uh, especially with the one-handed sword. So, yeah, I think it's really special. And if you, if you can use it well, well, then uh, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing that's really unique about uh, uh, like the Bolognese tradition in general. I mean, it, it not, uh, maybe it's just an Italian thing, but discordant body positions. Um, yeah. you know, I know that there are a lot of folks that I've talked to who have prior martial arts experience and like some Asian martial arts, or Eastern martial arts. And, um, one of the things that they've said is that really attracted them to the Bolognese system was the fact that it, uh, it's use of discordant body positions. Cause that's something that they would see in like karate or in uh, like Kuksu or something like that, you know? And, um, you don't really see a lot of those discordant body positions in something like KDF. Um, at least from like the the early KDF. Um, you start to see it a little bit more with Meyer, but we all know that he was mm-hmm. just a bolognese author, you know, living yeah. north of yeah. the Alps. Jocomo so. de Basel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll we'll give we'll give Meyer plenty of, of flack here. Um because this is a beginner episode and these these newer or these a uh, foundations episode and the foundation of like moving forward with this material is to yeah. definitely like provide the heresy.
2: Um, right and it's totally if you want to learn to fight in a formation the germans were great at it but if you want to learn to fight as an individual the italians were the masters of that that's just. how it goes yeah Yeah, we
1: definitely need to entice
2: some kind of group feeling here (laughs) (laughs) i mean how many how many german fencing masters came down to italy and took over i want to say that number is zero that's true right and you know they were so desperate for good fencing knowledge that they actually thought fabris was good and in germany
0: i mean i guess you could argue that Fiore was uh, was a german <laughs> i mean he was austrian so
2: <laughs> I, I think wasn't he he was uh he's uh, that that ethnicity Froli- that's kind of like right there he's actually yeah, Froli- Froli- yeah, Froli- and, yeah. or sort of yeah, like yeah. Half i don't slop, think half that italian? he yeah
1: he wouldn't have identified with any larger body i no, think he, he was just yeah. uh, a citizen of his town basically yeah, yeah. like any other italian he probably would, citizen would have kicked town. you in the balls for calling him a German, too. Yeah, he would also – any Italian would probably have kicked you in the balls for calling them Italian. Right, so, um, right. <laughs>
0: uh, so, um, yeah, teaching t- <coughs> gear. Um, but, yeah, the discordant body positions. Um, and this is one of those discordant body positions. Uh, totally agree with you, Martin. Um, that, that profile of the front foot is – is impaired or is uh, imperative um, in this guard, But again, um, you know, kind of talking about not only is the, the body position discordant, um, but it's also coiling. Um, so, you know, when, mm. before when I was talking about how you're kind of chambering certain positions, chambering certain actions, um, you're coiling your body. You're really kind of like preparing your body for your defense. And, you know, Ronso is very explicit with this one in particular, um, that this is a defensive guard. Like, you're just right. going to defend from Chingyari to de Ferro. Um, he says that there are different attacks that can spring from this, namely um, falsos and uh, and thrusts and, and the like. Uh, but he, he says that this is a position that you're going to take if you're defending yourself. Um, right. And we see that play out, like, through plays, um, yeah. usually parry down into Chingyari Porta de Ferro. Right. Which, by the way, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever played with this, but, like, when an author like Manciolino for example, says to parry a thrust, and let's say you're in Alta and you're gonna parry and you're gonna go into Chingiari Porta de Ferro, now, mm-hmm. other than just like getting that nice hip turn and really kinda like dropping the hips down, turning that mm-hmm. front foot and really like exaggerating to create Chingiari Porta de Ferro mm-hmm. in that parry, mm-hmm. just creates mm-hmm. so much body structure. Um mm-hmm. and one of the it things It makes
2: you look hella cool too. Oh.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because like, they're are doing like, some big yeah. move
2: and you're like, oh, come <laughs> on, you made me turn my body. <sighs> just, just die already. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, I 100% agree with that. But I think another cool thing too, and and uh, I don't know if the Bolognese authors get enough credit for this because I think this is a mechanic that we see a lot is um, – one of the downsides of your arms, um, the, the muscles, mus- musculature of your arms and your body structure, your body in general, in um, uh, your musculature is that um, you can extend forward, right? And you're going to have to mm-hmm. tense your muscles, right? Like these are, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. have um, sort of, your muscles will either contract, uh, Well, that's really all they do is to just contract, right? Um, so the directionality of your arm, once you've contracted your arm, you basically used your arm. Right. In mm-hmm. order to it's get it to go, bullet, yep. Yeah. In order to get it to go again, yeah. you're gonna have to rechamber. You're gonna have to pull on another set of muscles, mm-hmm. which are gonna rechamber it in a position where now it can go forward again. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the beautiful things about using your entire body when you're fencing, um, and using your hips and, and using your foot position and uh, making some of these, or just doing and doing this with a half turn of the hand right? Which your wrist muscles are a different set of group of muscles than, than your forearms and your, your uh, biceps and your, your back. So, um, you've got just doing a a slight half turn of the hand doesn't, doesn't use up your forearm and your, your biceps, which is what you're going to need to extend forward. Um, but then with your, your hips turning, now you're putting pressure down on top of your opponent's sword. You can make your parry basically without ever moving your arm, right? Right. And that's that's the goal. Yeah, exactly, and th- and that's the beauty of these positions, right? So when we talk about kind of like defending into these positions, and what I was talking about before um, at, the, at the opening of this is like when you're making your parries, like if you parry into a guard and you're deliberate about right. parrying into a guard, but you're doing so by using your body position to go into those guards rather than like right. kind of just parrying with the arm and kind of making what I call the oh shit parry, you know, which is where you're kind of like overreacting to your opponent's sword. Yep. By, by reading what your opponent's doing and, and using your body to make the parry, you're actually preparing yourself or allowing yourself to be prepared for your secondary action, which now makes you faster, right? Because you don't have to do more actions to prepare that second action.
2: I think that that's what it's really all about. Yeah. So use yeah. your body for your first parry, and then if they're any good, they'll go to the other side, and then you can move your sword on that side, and you can make a parry counterattack combo.
0: Yeah. And so that's where but I see especially, Yeah. With like Chingyari oh, Ponte de Ferro, yeah. and and right. Stretta, those are like those are like really coiled positions for me, right? Like yep. I think of those as like you're really kind of coiling the body, you're preparing yourself. Um and right. we see that with like Morazzo's Uh, depiction of Cotalonga Strada where he really has the guy with his arm down and you kind of like really Mm -hmm. see his body start to contort and like come off to the side and he's almost projecting that left shoulder forward Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of crazy right Uh, in Cotalonga Strada but that's kind of like that coiling action, he's preparing the body for those attacks. Um, and So that way it's just more dynamic.
2: So should we move on to a different set of guards now?
0: Um, Let's talk about uh, Porta def We we can speed through these last three Um, so we've Mm -hmm. got... um, Porta de Ferro Larga. So Larga?
2: Ooh, I'm not speeding through Porta de Ferro Larga, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh
0: why do you why do you take away? <laughs>
2: All right. So uh to uh I'm sure everybody here has seen uh, Return of the Jedi, or almost everybody here is so there's the classic yeah. It's a trap line. Yeah. Well that's that's Porta de Ferro Larga, it's the trap door. And in its it's Porta de Ferro Stretta, but for some reason you've just allowed the point to dip while your hand remains in the same place. And fun fact, essentially it takes zero time to move your uh, the point of your sword to from a larga to a Stretta position. So Stretta is clearly it is an iron gate. It like we discussed before, it's not a good invitation because it looks so secure. Porta di ferro larga is just disguised porta di ferro stretta. It is, a, it is basically nothing but a finger squeeze to bring your point online. And generally speaking, I, I like to think of a finger squeeze as something that takes basically no time in terms of fencing. Um, and by virtue of the sword beginning offline, you get so many more attacks. You can do so much more with Porte de Ferro Larga. Um, than you can with Porti de ferro stretta. the there's various falsies you can make from there it goes nicely in guardia, into guardia detesta uh there's a lot of deception that you can do when your sword begins offline that's harder to do when your sword is online uh, i just straight love that i i probably spend as much time in porto de ferro larga as i do in Porti de ferro strata especially if i've got it if i have a shield i don't even bother with Porti de ferro strata that's just pointless. <laughs>
0: Steven, you're sounding like Fijiani, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, what do you think, Martin?
1: Yeah, so um, just to give it a little overview for our listeners. Basically, these three guards that we already had, Colalonga, Porta di Ferro, and Cinghiare Porta di Ferro, all have these little modifiers at the end. And Lager is just one of those modifiers. And Some authors don't use them, but in general they are fairly logical in that any kind of guard that is lager is held wide so with the point towards the ground. Any guard with stretter is with the point forward so it's more for the close play for the constraint play and with Alta it's usually with the hand a bit higher but still the points forward. Longa? Not so much, but uh, for Porta di Ferro and uh, also Cingar Porta di Ferro Strata that pretty much holds. And the only difference there is which foot's standing forward. So in Porta di Ferro Lager the right foot's again standing forward. It's super close to being Porta di Ferro Strata. Just the Mandrito that you would have thrown to get into Porta di Ferro Strata would be thrown as a full blow. So you just pull it through towards uh, your left side, towards the ground. And so it presents a bigger opening. It's great to entice the opponent to attack, like Steven said. But it's more useful in wide play. So especially if the point of the opponent is towards you and the measure is fairly close, well, then that guard might just get you killed. So um, be conservative about the kind, uh, the way you play with that guard, uh, the way you're you're going for these openings for enticing them to strike. But yeah. I think as well, it's, it's a really great card and I certainly use it a lot as well.
0: Um, yeah, I think it's interesting because Porta de Ferro Larga, we'll, we'll talk about this, um, I guess in the, in the, the third episode that we do on this, which we'll, we'll talk about tactics, right. Um, and, uh, we'll talk about measure and and interpretation, like in interpretation, Porta de Ferro Larga, a lot of times is a trigger for, um, for understanding things, um, because it usually means that your cut is full, um or that you've, like, allowed your cup to go full, which usually means your opponent is retreating. But we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, Porta de Ferro Larga, I agree with you, Stephen. It is, I mean, it's a trap, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> in, in the KDF tradition, they call it the fool's guard or the or alber. Um, you know, it's um, because, you know, you're, you're trying to fool somebody or perhaps uh, they're a fool for attacking you if you're right. in the guard. Or maybe it's because the fool knows all, because the fool sits beside the king. Who knows? um who knows yeah but it, the it, in all um you know Porta de Ferro Larga um it is one of those guards uh, that just it, it adds a little bit more of a body dynamic in that um it has all of the defensive capabilities of Porta de Ferro Strada. of course it does have a tiny bit of a measure component to it where you have to be aware of so you have a little bit of a bigger tempo um, but it also adds a little bit more offensive capability because you have a lot of cuts that you can do from Porta de Ferro Larga. Um, there are a lot of reversals that you can throw. You basically turn the sword back into like a Soto mm-hmm. Bracchio, um, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about here in just a second. So it's a nice transition, but you're going to turn the sword back into Soto Bracchio in order to give a reversal that goes underarm or something like that. Like it's something that we probably see a little bit more with uh, with um, the uh, Sword buckler material, uh, but I think the anonimo does it a fair amount, um, especially when he's fighting left-handers. He likes to cut into soto and sopra braccio, like he's like attacking their hand, and he'll let the sword kind of like chamber back, so he can come back with these big cuts. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's it's kind of fun that you know porta de ferro larga. It's it's we see it in dalagocchio. Um, used as a trap, like he, he kind of gives you that the whole expression of that trap door where you're kind of rising back up with that fall, so driving a thrust, you know, to to mm-hmm. sort of again dominate that center line and just kind of force your opponent to attack around. And then, you know, he gives a nice tight counter attack where you're just turning up into um, yeah. what the anonymous would call a Guardia to Entrary to parry. So
2: I guess it is a lot so like chess, the, it's, it's all about dominating the center. You can try to dominate the center from yeah. the get go, or you can try to allow your opponent to come into the center and then you build your defense around the idea that they're going into the center and you're setting them aside.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it's risky not to play the center, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, sometimes sometimes you think that you just want to kind of like get that counterplay, so you try to play around the flanks and stuff like that mm-hmm. and you realize that you've made a colossal mistake and that you should have just mm-hmm. confided for the center. And then the they center. stab you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, uh, I guess the only difference between this and chess is you can always reset and, and retreat, <laughs> right? Um, but you don't want to because we're Italians, right? So don't, right? I mean, don't actually, because then you're gonna lose your shame. Uh, and then you won't
2: ashamed. also learn your game. The whole whole learning of the game is to learn to not give ground.
0: Yeah. Um. So let's talk about Soto braccio real quick. So what is this? Soto Han Solo? Huh? What's going on here? <laughs> what is that, Martin? What's what's uh, sotto braccio?
1: Yeah. So it just means under the arm and basically it refers to your offhand so basically now your sword is under your non-dominant side so in Angelo Vigiani that would be his first guard actually where he just draws his sword from the scabbard so basically the points uh, towards the backside the hand is low and on the left hip basically and from there we can for example throw rising reversi or to be honest any kind of blows but some kinds are more direct than others but yeah basically it's also like a nice invitational guard it's used heavily with uh defensive implements not so much with the sword alone though yeah like not used with the sword alone yeah <laughs> so it's yeah. it's big in sword and small buckler so
2: uh, soto Bracho is just the same for all you i 133 or i33 folks out there it's the first ward it's yeah. the sword is in your armpit um Really nice for the sword and small buckler, so if you're doing sword and small buckler and you're cutting against, you you want to attack somebody who's taller than you, you want to cut into Soto Bracho because you can clear through the leg space they might try to use for a counterattack and then step back in and throw a nice big reverso. So, uh, I think that's Morozo's fifth play of his uh, first assault. So really useful for, in my opinion, for shorter fencers for the sword and small buckler. Um... Also it's useful for getting into uh Meza Spada with a false edge. So that's Manchelino's first uh, in the first assault where he gives his first demonstration of how to enter into the stretta, where you would cut into uh Braccio on a step on a cut and step back, and then you enter back in with a big powerful falso into Guardia de Facha, so you're now dominating the center with your false edge and then it's from there, there's a bunch of actions you can do he prefers with the more natural one, which is just to pass left with the thrust, and that, that kind of opens up the game there. Mm-hmm. So I found it's pretty much only useful with the sword and small buckler. Mm-hmm.
0: I think, yeah, I, I'd see it with a, a variety of weapons. Um, I think it can be used with pretty much anything in, in the left hand, as long as you can defend yourself, right? As long as you can kind of like keep mm-hmm. something forward, um, just because it creates a lot of of sneaky attacks you know you can basically hide your intention um and, and manchilino i think plays with that a lot with sword and small buckler where you know you're kind of like you're kind of playing this game where like imagine even if you had something like sword and cape you know you don't know if it's going to come forward with a thrust or a cut um, right. It could be right either um, so uh, yeah but yeah it's um just that just under the arm um it can go kind of point off to the like at an angle. Um I think you can point kinda straight back. I, I don't I think usually more at an angle, like almost like you're kinda like creating an obtuse angle with your hand. Um is more natural. Uh, but I don't think it's ever really described in anything other than just that the sword goes under your arm. And of course it is uh because it's a wide guard, um it's not a defensive guard. Uh it's a offensive guard. Right. So um that's that's something to kinda emphasize here a little bit um is that it is it's primary motive is, is offense. Um, all right. So let's start talking about high guards. So, um, we've kind of gotten one of our, we've gotten two of our wide guards, right? Which it means that we're kind of like, now we're going to get into the rest of our high guards, which for the most part are going to be kind of like wide ish in a way. But, you know, one of the things that Manchialino says, um, he says that the low guards are, are better for defending and for giving thrusts and that the thrusts are the more, more natural attack. He says that the high guards, that their natural thing is to attack. So right. um, let's get a little offensive here. Um, so Gordia Alta, uh, what is this one good for? Mark.
1: Yeah, basically the name just says that it's your standard high guard, uh, usually depicted with the sword hand stretched out high above you, points even a bit towards your backside either foot can be forward and here especially with the high guard uh, Dalogacchi mentions and I think mancholino does this as well that it's not really important which foot is forward but uh, just the hand position is determining the actual guard and the, the function of that guard and basically if you're expect to throw any kind of Fendente then Guardia Alta is the way to go but of course with some bigger motions like that big windmill motion behind you, you could also throw the Montanta, like we uh, explained in the last episode.
2: All right, yeah. So, the by virtue of our body positioning and our hand positioning, there we have a crazy number of attacks. So, if you could imagine, there's eight, there's basically eight attack angles. Um, and uh, we have it attested through the various sources that you can throw a fendente, so you can throw straight down, you can throw a mandrido Squalumbrato, you can throw a mandrido tondo, you can throw a rising mandrido, you can throw a rising false edge cut, that's a montante, you can throw a rising reverso from guardia alta, that's both in the anonimo and in Mancholino. and according to the anonimo, you can also throw a reverso tondo. So of the eight possible cutting angles that you can make uh, with a sword, you can do seven of them from Guardia Alta. So yeah, that's, you. It, it's highly adaptable for cutting. Um, two interesting things is the question of leg and foot positioning. I guess we could probably get into that more when we talk about footwork. So really uh, get into that position is interesting to do with your feet together because that also creates uh, a lot more opportunities for stepping also from guardia alta you can make an imbrocata, that is a descending thrust as well so there's two thrusts that i can think of that are directly attested that is the descending thrust and then there's the just unfair like just it's just cheating which is the rising thrust thrown as a montante so you're really you're literally windmilling and then as if that's not difficult enough to deal with you turn that up into a thrust to your opponent's face it's, uh, it's really fun, especially with a sword and small buckler, um, because the defensive armament does not get in the way of your sword. And so you can just do all sorts of fun stuff from Guardia, Guardia Alta. What do you have to say about this one, Joshua?
0: Yeah, Guardia Alta, you know, obviously good for offense. It's something that we also really only see with um, some sort of a defensive implement. Um, you know, it's it's something that we don't see a lot with the sword alone. Um, I think there are a few instances in, uh, in the anonymous, in the anonymous yeah. where he yeah, does but he knows how to alta. fence. So
2: it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh God.
0: Yeah. Um, interesting note here. Um, so with Alta, um, so uh, Martin was describing the posture and he was describing how the, the sword is kind of pointing behind you. Um, and that's actually really important because, um, uh, Vigiani speaks to this is when the sword is off, when the point is offline is in it's pointing um, especially behind, the only natural attack, we uh, before, like we were talking with the low guards, that the only natural attack is a thrust. When the point is pointing away from uh, that person or behind them and is not pointed towards you, the only natural attack that that person can give is a cut right? So mm-hmm. in order to, because in order to give you a thrust, they have to make a turn of the hand, a mezzavolta, which is a tempo which you can read. And therefore, they have to give you sort of a dewy tempi action. So they would have to turn their hand and then drive the thrust um, in order to, to let that thrust come through. Now, there are some kind of tricky things that you could do. You can make it look like you're going to throw a montante and then, you know, throw a thrust, right? Something like that. But again, you're already kind of like understanding from Alta that you're giving this really big tempo, this big action. Um, But in general, um, especially with like Soto Bracchio, for example, like with Soto Bracchio, the natural thing is only going to be a cut. So point on line guards, the natural thing is generally it could do either a thrust or a cut and point off line guards or point. When the point is pointing away from you and the natural attack, is a cut? So that's kind of a quick thing that you can kind of like bake into your psyche of understanding. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when you're looking at somebody, that's one of the first things you really want to look for is, is that point pointed towards you or is it pointed away? Right. It's kind of one of the first things mm-hmm. that I kind of think of. Um, and so Gordia Alta, of course, like it has incredible attacking potential and it is just an attacking guard. When somebody holds Gordia Alta, they are saying, I'm going to be aggressive here. Like I'm going to attack (laughs) you. You know, they're not, they're not saying, Hey, I'm coming in to defend. They're saying I'm coming in to get you. Um, so it, it is definitely a statement card, and we see it so much through, you know, uh, the and Sword and Small Buckler material, but you're kind of developing that aggressive, um, you know, ideology there. Even though there you're a, a nymph, you're supposed to be beautiful and lithe, um, <laughs> you're showing a tremendous amount of aggression uh, because of, of the cards that you're holding. So it's, it's actually super interesting. Okay, um, so Gordia de Alicorno or Leon Corno or
2: Unicorn, the beat guards. Just, just to make it
0: simple, it's <laughs> Unicorns, <laughs> unicorns Becca, Lions,
1: Beats, <laughs>
0: <Rawr. laughs> What are we going for here? Uh, Martin, take it away.
1: Yeah, so for Angelio Vigiani, that would be his second guard, his Guardia Alta Offensiva Perfetta. So the perfect offensive guard, which naturally just is the most natural uh, beginning point to throw in in so a thrust from above. Well... Depending on the author, like I said, it's uh, called differently. So, Guardia d'Alicorno would be in uh, Dalagocchia. In um, Rozzo, he distinguishes which foot is forward. So, depending on that, calling it Becca, Posa, or Chessa. Um, But yeah, it's basically first and foremost an offensive guard that threatens that kind of thrust from above. It's also uh, usually a frontal position, so again chest facing forwards, or maybe even a bit more, uh, like the left shoulders almost facing forwards. Um, in Dardagok usually and with Vijani especially as well, the right foot standing forward, so we are threatening that that lunging kind of motion as well. But yeah, it's it's really like an inviting position on the one hand for uh, for the opponent to to strike you in, but on in the same time. Like we said for the impact it, it threatens that really dangerous thrust that it's um that is fairly mortal on the one hand and it's also really hard to parry
2: yeah steve okay well i'm, I'm gonna expound at a little bit of length at this because uh, i'm also passionate about the unicorn guard uh, but let's we'll go back to our our other show first so uh-huh. guido rangoni our our hero of Morozzo is famous for his preference for the for Porte di Ferro Strada. His opponent, the big, strapping, powerful Hugo Popole, favors Guardia di Corno, the unicorn guard. Okay, and so this is, first and foremost, a tall dude's guard. You can see short people try and do this, but it generally depends. Everything about this guard comes down to somebody being over you so that their point is coming down at you. Um, and it allows them to both find you with the false edge and draw, drill a thrust through your pathetic attempts at parrying, or if you don't have your sword in presence, they can drill a thrust right directly into your hand. So <laughs> most defenses that actually work against Guardia de Corno, against the Unicorn Guard, is you're simply trying to reset to a neutral position. It's that OP. It's that overpowered. Uh, OP is my kid's... Um, slang for overpowered sorry about that um so in the chess equivalent uh unicorn guard would be essentially be trying to just swipe all of your opponent's pieces off of the board with your hand it's all about overpowered <laughs> body mechanics um most people can't defend against unicorn card so that is its big downside and one of the things i'm hoping we can get in this most people will just simply give ground to unicorn guard because it's like i said it's that overpowered and this is the disgusting part about unicorn guard it's overpowered on the inside and the outside if opponent tries to defend on the outside it's pretty you have a mechanical advantage when you're drilling down with your weapon unless they really have their body positioning down you can push their weapon down on the outside but if they're on the inside you can find them with your false edge and push them down on the inside too it's just it's kind of cheating it's kind of cheating, and it's also why it's kind of a lot of people's favorite guard, including Angelo Vigiani. He, he built an entire system out of just using this, which tells you he was not a short guy, probably.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, to build on that chess analogy, I guess you could say like the uh, Porta de Ferrastretto would be like the Gioco piano, right? Like it's the, right, the Italian sure. gate It's nice and slow. Yeah. Right. Because you're defensive. And this one would probably be like the London system, where it's just like you're just trying to get everybody to trade down in the center to just right. open everything up so that way <laughs> just it's just it nothing but development. Right. And you're just getting all yeah. your pieces out. And it's just, it turns into like an attacking chaos. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, if you fight somebody who's in, in Porta de Ferva um, eventually you're going to have to try to get them to commit to getting out of their guard. Right. Like, I mean,. Right. And there's no better way to do that than to say, you know what, I'm going to assume, uh, you know, Gordie de Alacorno, and I'm going to just rain imprecadas down on your Porta de Ferro right. until right. you leave. In which case I'm going to start just, you know, kind of doing terrible things to you. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta give offense and, and the best, the best means of offense, like, um, like what Vigiani kind of explains. And the reason why he calls it the, uh, offensive perfetta is because it can give both thrusts and cuts equally without much disregard between the two. So, um, you can be really deceptive in what you're going to give. You can even make it something start to look like a thrust and then turn it into a cut by just kind of like giving a half turn of the hand. So there's a lot of like crazy mechanics that you can do to kind of unsettle your opponent in their defense. Um, and it just has a tremendous amount of attacking potential. Um, I agree with you um, there, Martin, in that uh, I think it is usually a like hip forward guard. Um, I usually allow my feet to kind of narrow a little bit um when I'm in the guard. So I'll I'll bring my front foot kinda in, just like I would with Gordia Alta. I think a lot of the high guards, I allow my posture to kinda go a little bit more upright. But then again I'm I'm also projecting this kind of attacking potential to my opponent. I want them to think, especially as a taller person who's six three, I want somebody to think that I look like just a tower of death, you know? And right. so um when I when I assume um Gordia de Alicorno, you know, like making myself even taller, I think just just really kind of like demoralizes people because I usually fence small when I'm in low guards. Like I'll allow my hips to really sink down. I kind of fight with a very low base to chamber my legs. Um, I know that's kind of difficult for a lot of people. Um, But I do think it's something that people should pursue as a stretch goal because I think it does allow you to have more power, especially as you're rising uh, into your actions. But I do the opposite when I'm in high guards, um, I I project myself tall, and I will allow, allow my my chest to become very straight. My back is straight. I'm, I'm very erect in my posture, and really kind of projecting myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much you can do from that guard. We could do um, a
2: whole episode on just unicorn you know, yeah, guard. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and you know, yeah. it's it's criminally underused in the in the rapier sources. Like, I mean, they talk about it, right? I mean, it's prima. Uh, it's it's the first guard. Um, it's. Uh, just to kind of mention this, it's the first guard that you would hold. A lot of times it is uh, because it is the position that you would end up in if you, when you're drawing your sword from your scabbard. Um, but you know in the Polynesian system, it's like everybody's just like, hey, this is actually a pretty cool guard. Mm-hmm. Let's use this. And then for some reason, the rapier guys are just like, bro, I'm just gonna use second and fourth and third sometimes. It's weird.
1: Yeah they usually reason that it's uh, quite tiresome and to a certain degree Get lazy yeah i agree <laughs> if, if, if the game becomes even more narrow like uh, giovanni delagoc here describes this in his work that like i said last time as well that the fencing of the ancient ancient was more white more beautiful and fencing by his time so the uh, 1570s became much more narrow the points presented more towards uh, the forward and as um, the hilts developed so did the hand as well so it's mm-hmm. not like the the hand is ha- held high over you with a point forward, but the hand is um, pointing forward as well. Then it gets really tiresome on on the shoulder mus- muscles. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can see where they're coming from. But uh, certainly after every kind of reverso parry, uh, it's it's still a great guard to get in. Like it is, yeah. we see it in Giovanni della as his main play he would uh, teach someone who was in need to learn to fence within 30 days it's a main play of uh, angelo Vigiani. we see it in fiora we see it in vadi so it's all over the place that kind of guard
0: yeah yeah it is it's kind of like this um, universal action um, for both defending yourself well and for um, kind of providing a really great offense so yeah. you could say it's kind of the, the jack of all trades there
2: yeah, I guess, you know, as fencing changed from being for, you know, military people to being for, you know, tailors and students, they needed something that was going to be less tiresome on their body because they weren't used to conditioning it like somebody who was, you know, training to do physical combat, essentially. So they needed to, that's probably why they w- would prefer
1: something that was more comfortable. That could mm. have been
2: yeah, changing. Yeah, that makes meat. sense.
1: Yeah, and really, that guard is also great to just thrust around defensive implements. If we oh, yeah. if we imagine a battlefield with with shields and mm-hmm. uh, helmets and stuff, there is always like some kind of weak point in the armor, right at the neck, that you could mm-hmm. get in if you thrust behind the shield. Yep. Like if you uh, just imagine the the ancient Greek vases with uh, the hoplites with their mm-hmm. with their shields and the spears in the overhand position. Well, that's basically guardi or Becca, Chessa, Possa, yeah. name it. Whatever you want to call it, yeah.
0: Morazzo needs to go change his pants. You <laughs> 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 just brought hot plates into discussion on the uh, Cordia, <laughs> Cordia. <laughs> <laughs> be pretty excited about that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so this is going to probably get a little controversial here. We're going to talk about Cordia de Testa. So viewer discretion is advised. This one seems a little heady.
1: Who <laughs> are <laughs> uh, I feel like I have the most controversial view on that. Um, so, so I'll start with the with the basics first. Uh, so, in in Marozzo we have a f- fairly nice picture of that kind of guard, and it's shown with the hand held on the outside, the points are high and a bit towards your left, so it covers the outside. Um, hands is also sh- around shoulder height, maybe a bit lower, and, well, it's usually meant to to cover the head and then follow up with with another action, for example, a dritto tramazone. So some type type of cutting around action, either behind the opponent's sword or just to the other side. In dalagocchio, we are getting the description that is actually just the point towards the left and towards the ground the hand towards the opponent so it's the hand is held a bit higher maybe head height and it covers actually the other side so the inside um against for example if the opponent throws a mandrito so something towards your left side you would raise your hand basically let the sword uh, point drop and cover there and from there you can also like um throw dritti tramazzoni or do some kind of other action for example go back up there with the with the reverso. I would, so and that's the basics. Um, now the controversial view is that actually it's both in all the authors. So for example in uh, Giovanni della Gocchia, especially with the, with the sword and dagger, we are sometimes told to parry an incoming Mandrito, so something against our left side, with the dagger held in Guardia di Testa. And that kind of position doesn't make really a lot of sense if we let the dagger point drop towards our inside for the left hand, so that would be towards our right. It's way better if the point's standing up. On the other hand, in uh, Morozzo, we get a couple of hints at least in the uh, close play. So the uh, Stretter, the half sword plays with the uh, sword and buckler where he tells you a nice disarm where you are basically letting your point drop. So you're pairing an incoming mandrito as well. So the opponent strikes towards your left. You let your sword point drop, lift the hand high, and then you're grabbing with your left hand underneath your own sword and you're grabbing the opponent's arm or their sword or whatever, and then you go on from there. And at a later point, I think he calls that, um, he refers to that position again and calls that Guardi Detesta as well. So, I'll, certainly we can link that in the show notes, so you can uh, get your own picture, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's fairly variable.
2: Stephen, okay. Well, in it? the sources that matter to me, so that's the <laughs> non-Dalagokie ones, it seems generally pretty clear to me that it's Point up. So, this is what I like to do to teach Guardia de Testa uh, to a student is I don't teach them. I say I'm going to hit you in the head with a downward cut as hard as I can make it. If you get hit in the head, and I don't let them wear a mask when they're doing it, because um, I have found there's a an operating system that's actually built into all of us, at least all us boys. I, I don't have a lot of female students, so I'm not 100% sure, and I, I don't really have the guts to just wail at a chick. Um, I say, okay, you're not wearing a mask. I'm going to hit you as hard as I can in the top of the head. Don't let me hit you. And mm, 99 out of 100 students form a very nice guardia de testa with the tip kind of pointing up into the side so that the blow comes right down into their guard. It, it's baked into our DNA that when something is raining down at our head, we will put our thing there with our body actually structured more or less properly to not get cleaved in the head, which I think is, I think uh, it's awesome. Um, so I like to think of guardia detesta less as a static position, where it's generally not used as a static position, uh, except in sword and small buckler in the anonimo, um, and there's like one play or something like that. It's primarily a circular parry um, made in at least with the use of the. Uh, In Sword Alone, it's going to be a circular parry, so that's going to be if somebody is dominating to your inside, you can cover anything with a sweeping parry um, that just closes all of your lines, essentially. Yeah, and you're uh, you're
0: talking uh, just so I can illustrate for people. You're, yeah, you're. What he's illustrating with his hand is in circular, as in like it's coming from low to high. So it's it's like kind of like turning into position, um, almost like he's making drawing a like a backwards
2: C shape. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, like a yeah, like a C. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. backwards C. Yeah. Or yeah, so, or drawing the C upside down. Like, drawing yeah, a C upside the bottom down or something. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you can sweep. <laughs> um all of your lines essentially in that one motion and it's very useful when you're in a situation essentially where you can't do the normal parry which is where you put the true edge on and then you poke them. right so that's kind of how i teach it um and how i find that it's most used and the thing that's great about it is the number of attacks you can make from that position while controlling the opponent's weapon so you can imbricada you can throw uh with We would call a grazing mandrito. I think what they call a winding cut in German where you basically just turn the weapon and it will ride down their weak and you will basically slice them in the face while controlling their weapon. Or if they're strong, you can then just, I'm sorry, if they push off hard, you can just cut around. Um... So when I have students, it's also very natural for students to want to parry in the tip down position because the offenses afterwards are very nice. Um, I'll usually invite them to do that, and then when they do that, I just change the angle of the cut slightly to hit their hand. And usually most people, after being struck nice nice and firm on the hand once, kind of like to change their game. Um, a lot of it comes down to the protection that we have, uh, which protects our heads much better than it protects our hands. Um, so I've never been a big fan of the tip-down Guardia Testa because I really like my hands and I don't like getting hit on my hands. Um, there are instances of the tip-down parry being used in the Anonimo, in the, the good source. Um, and that is where we have lost Surprise. control to our, uh, our outside and we are yielding around the weapon. And so if you can imagine, they have control of our weapon. And then we can allow our hand to go up because they can't actually make an effective strike against our weapon because we're engaged. And then you make the tightest little circle you can to protect your beautiful hand as you back out into the pig. And then if you're lucky, they'll continue to follow up. And, and then that's when you get to hit them. Um, so I'm not a big fan of tip-down Guardia de Testa. I think it's—well, I won't, I won't speculate on that. Joshua, why don't you tell us your take, your hot take on the guard yeah, of the head? Yeah, so—
0: um... I, I used to believe, uh, in a transitory Gordia de testa. Um, I had argued, uh, pretty vehemently for that for a long time, um, until I just couldn't justify it anymore. Um, and that's really when I, I fo- started focusing my studies primarily on, on Manchilino and Murato, uh, specifically. And now I, I'm a believer in, in the sort of Gordia de testa is at shoulder height. Um, and the point is up and slightly slightly to the left. But um, there are some some body mechanic issues that I think that are, are really important to that. And I want to get into those in a second. But to, to just kind of justify my my reasoning for Cordia de Testa, um, I think the reason why we see a shift in, in Cordia de Testa and Dalla Gokie in particular um, with the sword, um, maybe not with the dagger necessarily, uh, because most of the time daggers don't necessarily have a full complex hilt. Um, we still see less less um, hand protection on a, on a dagger, so I think it makes more sense for the dagger to kind of replicate what we saw with side swords, especially early versions of side swords with less hand protection, whereas swords by the time of Daligokia in 1572 had actually become a little bit more complex, and so it's like almost like a, a saber parry makes more sense because you've got hand protection built into your weapon, and same thing with a more complex uh, hilted side sword, uh, or sword in general. Um, that you might have seen in, in 1572 with Alargoke, where when you have more hand protection, you can expose those knuckles and you can kind of push them towards your opponent. Um, and um, you know, I, I do think that in, in a lot of ways, um, and this might speak to what you were talking about with the uh, the the strata play there, uh, Martin, with uh, with wrestling a lot of times, you might start a peri-angroid testa, and your opponent might try to force your sword down. And anytime they're trying to force from the outside, you know, if anybody's done any wrestling, you know that Going weak into your opponent's strength a lot of times can give you then a strong position, Mm. which then sets up that grappling position. Um, Because I do think that's something we see a lot. Um, And so um, I kind of see that as like a a, a progression of wrestling where you can kind of like take that position. I think you even do that, uh, in my opinion, in my interpretation of of Manchelino's two sorts with his his parry, um, his first defense that he gives um, where he's pairing. I think he's kind of got this, like you're starting Gordia de Testa and you're kind of rotating it across as you're going for that or that thrust underneath. Um, to the body mechanics though, uh, with Gordia de Testa in particular, I think a few things to kind of emphasize here um, that I see with Gordia de Testa is when I go into Gordia de Testa, one of the things that Manchiolino says is to always make your defenses going forward and with your arms well extended. Um, all of the authors generally agree that this is about at shoulder height. I think that lower can be beneficial. And I agree. I agree with that. Um, But not to go above the shoulder. Um, When you start to go above the shoulder, your structure becomes weak. Mm. So anytime that hand drifts above the shoulder, uh, you lose structure. Whereas if you keep the the arm at shoulder height, um, then you will, you'll maintain structure. So anything kind of like dropping down, but there's, You're aligning your muscles in a way when you are at shoulder height that you have a lot of strength. Um, Another thing that I like to think of with Gordia de Testa in particular is I always keep my forward knuckles. So my I guess that's my second knuckle right there. like uh, um, And my thumb kind of pointed towards my opponent when I'm parrying Gordia de Testa. So um, I do that because that's a strong angle. So um, for those listening at home, if you were to take your arm and you were to line your arm up so that way like you're pointing with your thumb and you lay your thumb down on top of your fingers, if you were to have a straight line from the tip of your thumb all the way down your arm, um, that's, that's good structure. That's your strongest structure that you can have. And you can hold guardia de Testa in that position going forward. Um, and then the second thing that I'd like to like, kind of emphasize with the body mechanics of Gordia de Testa to really kind of give a strong parry um, is it's a hip forward position. So a lot of times we see this as a transition um, going from like Porta de Ferro Strata or something like that. And so you're, you're engaging with those hips kind of coming forward. You've got your arms straight, straight out like that. And you're basically taking everything off to um, your outside of your right arm um, when, you're, when you're giving that parry. And that's a lot of times where we see it's got that snappy uh, mandrito that's coming back down um, or something like that. And a lot of times we see it kind of like coming underneath an attack, like from behind. And it's like you're forcing the momentum of your opponent's attack right. to continue in the direction that it was going. Right. And you're just, you're kind of like playing behind that. And that could be the geometry aspect of this.
2: Hmm. Um, so, so one thing I wanted to add to the the discussion is Dalla does use a tip-up Guardia di Testa, I believe. I think he just calls it Reverso.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, um, okay. yeah, especially against the Reverso Tondo, he says to just parry it with a true edge for example, or to okay. parry it with the reverse colimbro, um, But certainly against a, like a normal kind of version, he also uses Guardi di testa and I think he also has that kind of mindset of parrying towards the outside, because more often than not he follows up that Guardi di testa parry, even if it's a Mandrito that strikes you with an Imbrocata. So he tries yeah. to really get that blow into the forte, so the strong part of, the, of your blade, push right. it a bit towards your outside, and then get your thrust okay. back in. And basically back. just if it's too horizontal or too low or anything like that, or they're just too strong, then you go around and you let the sword glide towards your debilé, so the weak part of the blade right. towards the tip, and strike around your dritti trammazzoni or right. any kind uh, kind of like that. So I really think uh, he, he does think that Guardia di testa is that kind of horizontal or even a bit with, with the tip up high if it comes straight downwards or if it comes more towards your left where well, you let your point drop to close that angle. He says that specifically, and I think on the other side, he uses, he doesn't use the name Guardi di Testa there anymore. So he right. definitely has not that like outside parry that we see depicted in Marazzo anymore, but he uses that kind of action, right? He right. just doesn't use Guardi di Testa. He just names the action, use your true edge, use your you true use, edge or make yeah. a reverso. Yeah, which is really kind of a shame because uh, if you just used it, that name one time, that would be really clear. Well, what we have to
2: argue about, man? But yeah, avoiding a tester by any other name is just as sweet.
1: Would be really boring yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you just used it one time.
2: Exactly. So, yeah,
0: and and like Manchilino does describe the mechanic of using the sword like a wheel like Daligocchie does. Um, he does it with the, the sword and cape where he says to like let the hand kind of turn with the point down like it's a wheel in order to then cut a Fendente. But then the very next play he says use Gordet de Testa. And I always kind of use that as like, okay, like man, here's Manchilino. If that was Murato, whatever. Right. Like <laughs> Marazzo would do something stupid like that, where he describes an action in one play and then the next play tells you to do a named action. Right. But that's not really Manciolino's M.O. Um, so I don't really see him as seeing that as like as Gordia detesta. Um, but I do think that there's a, an interesting tactical component. We'll, we'll expand on this more when we get into episode three. But I do want to highlight it real quick. Um, and this is interesting about Daligocchie. Um, and as you were describing this, Martin, it really kind of like sprung to my mind is Dalekoke does tell you to always position your body behind your parry, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when you are, a lot of times when he tells you to use that Gordie to test a parry, you are kind of like turning that back foot behind. And so you create this really dynamic and beautiful attacking opportunity on that outside line of your opponent, uh, which would be to the outside of their right side, um, because you are kind of like turning your body and you are allowing everything to kind of like push away from you and you're creating this like sort of flanking opportunity for yourself. Um, and, and while that those mechanics do exist in some of the earlier texts like Morazzo and um uh, they're not as, they, it's not, I wouldn't say that they have as much of a, a sword focus of kind of like making sure that a lot of your attacks finish with the sword I think sometimes Murato and Manciolino have a tendency to kind of like create grappling opportunities a lot more than what we see in Dalagokie. So rather they would say, well, if I go on the inside and I give a cut like right through the center, then, you know, most likely my opponent's going to have to push over top of my sword. And then I'm just going to get, I'm going to have that wrap in the middle. And I've now I've got them in you know, a nice little arm bar and I've got control of them, right? Where Dalagokie is like, I'm going to keep fighting with my sword, you know? And Mm, so I think that's kind of a little bit of a tactical difference there
1: though to be fair at his end of his like summary part on the defenses from any guard he goes uh, he, longa e alta." there comes a manrito <laughs> he goes guardi detesta and grabs the sword and strikes around
0: <laughs> yep yep so he i mean he definitely does right he like he totally sets it up um yeah that's a that's actually Oh, I won't go into that, but I was going to say. You
1: <laughs> probably um, can go uh, a lot about these closed plays as well for an own episode or something like that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, Definitely. we could keep this going forever. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be <laughs> we've we've got it. at least
1: 30 of these. <laughs>
0: um, but, hey, I mean, if you're up for it, yeah, I, I, I'm having a good time. Um, so, Gordia de Faccia. Mm-hmm. Um, get out of my face, right? Like, yeah. Gordia de Faccia. What is Gordia de Faccia?
1: Yeah, so that would be the quarta in Italian rapier fencing. Basically, your, basically the end position of the punta reversa, like I described it uh, last time, with the palm turned up, the true edge turned towards your non-dominant side. So as a right-hander, that would be your left side, flats facing towards the sky and towards the ground, and your body in a really nice profile. It's here just as important as in Porta di Ferro Stretta, uh so you're really turning your left shoulder behind the sword and thrusting that blade towards the opponent's face not towards your own
0: (laughs) yeah steven how about you
2: uh yeah so my take on guardia is a bit different since i don't do dalagokie um so it's actually the fifth body position so there's really four body positions in the in the canon but there's really a fifth where your body is actually just in such a position that your hand and your both your hands are at the same length uh and guardia de faccia as i as is used in the anonymous is primarily appears in the use of sword and shield together and mostly as a uh, retreating mechanisms. So you do some stuff, and then when it's time to get out of the game, you retreat and you thrust under your shield. Be it a targa, be it a rotella, be it a sword and small buckler, um, and you put your sword in their face, and they go, "Ooh, wait a sec." You're just trying to you're trying to create pause. Um, so for me, the difference is that it's it is uh, the fully extended. It's just a fully extended sword. It's also the equivalent to a long point. Uh, for uh, the guys in my Myers group. So we're trying to discuss Guardia de Facha. That's basically just sword extended all the way out, which is not useful particularly in the sword alone because that's essentially saying, I would like you to hit me in my hands. Would you be so kind, please?
0: Yeah, well, I disagree on that last part for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. I do think that you use it a lot with, with sword alone. But then again, I also think that that's kind of like the position that you're trying to get to with Manchialino's sword alone. So from Porta de Ferro Strata, but generally you're rising up underneath. Like you're doing so because you're meeting somebody's attack. Um, so I guess like you wouldn't just like walk into somebody like holding Guardia de Facha. That Yeah, I, I mean with.
2: you – that is – I mean Metz spotted to me is essentially when you're crossed at Guardia de Facha. It's just yeah, the yeah, variations yeah. of Guardia de Facha crossing. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm going to take – I'm actually going to take the middle ground on this one. I'm going to say – like, Stephen, you kind of went with more of a – you went you went more with, a like, a heart open, right? That's Gordia uh-huh. de Faccia. And I think that um, Martin went more with a, a chest to the side, um, kind of close uh-huh. profile with Gordia de Faccia. Yeah. I'm going to say it's both. Yeah. So <laughs> not necessarily boring, but there's there's one really beautiful play that, that uh, Manchilino, who is, like, if you guys want a, like, oh, shit, like, parry, this is your oh, shit parry. Like, Gordia de Faccia – Like, for the most part, you can just go to Gordia de Faccia and it'll parry most things. Like a Mandrito, you can use it to parry a Reverso. You can use it to parry a Thrust. Like, Gordia de Faccia can basically parry anything. Um, As long as you're coming from a low guard, right?
2: Just understand you're giving your opponent your sword. Like, yes, I am parrying and I want you to take hold of my sword and rip it from my hand. But it can get you that extra half second of survival.
0: Or... Or you just know that like they're gonna have to do something out of that. And if they don't, and if they just, you know, try to put pressure and like give you a strong overbind, then they're just inviting you to come in and wrestle.
1: Right. Yeah, and, and stop that's thrust when, certainly our thing in modern fencing still. So Oh
0: god, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's <definitely laughs> but,
1: the position to go in.
0: Right. And so that's and, and um Morazzo uses it that way. So that's one of his defenses from Longa Alta. You're just basically stepping in you're going, you know, you're just meeting your opponent, Gordeta Faccia, and giving him a stop thrust to the face. Um, you know, we see that a lot through a lot of the Bolognese authors. But so the reason I say it's both is Hitchellino has this one play in particular where you're pairing a reverso with Gordeta Faccia, which... Mm-hmm. chest open, right? You've got your sure. uh, chest open in Gordia de Faccia, and then your opponent comes around and they try to give you a Mandrito, and all you have to do to close that inside line is close the back foot, so yeah. let that heel yeah. drop down to the yeah. ground, and turn to then a, a sort of a chest off to the side, or that closed position yeah. um, that we would see from like Porta de Ferro and you'll parry that Mandrito as well and stab them in the face in that contra tempo opportunity, right? So, in that in that sort of stop thrust action. Yeah. Um, so, that's really kind of the beautiful thing about Gournay de Facia, especially as your opponent is attacking you in your upper quarters, is that it has this versatility where. You can add a hip component and you can basically just keep everything closed off. And then if you need to, you can always transform that into Gordia de Testa or you can drop it down with a Mezzo with just a simple half turn of the hand. So you can close uh, or a Mezzo Reverso, right? Like it, it kind of has right. this, it, it's like, uh, it's almost like the queen, if you will, of of all your guards, uh, the way that I see it and that. Once you've brought it to bear in the game, um, it starts to have a lot of versatility where it's just a simple half turn and you can cover any line.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. One last thing I would um, talk about very quickly is the body mechanics side of uh, the perspective. And that is if you want to exert force or push something. imagine pushing against the ground so you can have like three positions that are really stable. The first would be like your standard push-up position with both feet in the middle of your chest, you're pushing against the ground, it's fairly stable, you can push fairly well and especially for the two-handed sword this is like usual a very common position to be in. But then with the one-handed sword that becomes not so feasible anymore because well you have that like if you just push with one hand well your non-dominant shoulder wants to drop Right, right. So what you're usually doing is getting into that profile position, pushing through the back foot through the spine, being a nice profile and you, just your your dominant hand through so the hand that is on the ground. And everything else is be, uh, behind that. As soon as you're turning a bit your body, you have again that like twerk that that uh, rotational force that you can't um, that basically needs some kind of your energy to deal with. So it's always better, just in my opinion, to especially in Guali di Facha, being that nice frontal position, have the right hand right in front of the right shoulder to just push forward with the hand towards the incoming force. So that could be still like a bit on the diagonal towards the, the opponent's blow. And then your sword point can do whatever, right? But, but you want to really like push with your whole body into that blow and that also means that if your right hand is right in front of your right shoulder, if the opponent disengages around, like your false edge is still covering you, you almost need, don't need to turn your hand any anything. You just need like the smallest turn of your body and your outside is already closed. As soon as your hand drifts towards the inside, that advantage goes away.
0: Yeah, that's actually, um, that's really interesting. But... And that's kind of what I was talking about uh, with the coiling aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because you, you fence a lot because from Dalagoki you probably fence a lot from Cotolunga Stretta as well, right? And so, like, that's kind of your your idea of Cordia de Faccia because that is, like, that's, like, one of the things that's kind of built into Cotolunga Stretta. Um, with that Gordia de Faccia, it's like you're in a, a hips forward position in, in Cotolonga strada, And when you send that Gordia de Faccia forward to, to make that parry, like you're just kind of like opening those hips up and like turning them in profile. Yeah. I think from, from a, like a Porta de Ferro perspective, though, if I was taking this from Manciolino, I would see it as I'm going from that hips off to the side position to then hips facing my opponent position. So my body position is changing. So then I am going to that open arm position. But that's where I need that to stop somewhere. So I need – because it's a reverso, I need to – the reverso, like a mandrito, anything that crosses the body, right, like Mm -hmm. with a mandrito, is always going to have the pectoral muscle to stop the action, a reverso, however, doesn't have anything that's going to stop the action. So you have to use more of your muscle groups to kind of like stop where it's going. And that's kind of like, I think, the art a little bit of learning how to kind of like stop that Gordia de Faccia without letting it drift. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I think Manchilino is very explicit about saying that that uh, his falsos stop in Gordia de Faccia. Because otherwise that, that, that falso could go forever. Like if you chase your opponent's sword, it's, gonna, it's just going to keep going. Alright, oh, so you're so basically
1: talking about uh, Dalagocchia's Guardi Dentrave mechanics, um, which, he, yeah. which he uses to deal with that kind of outside attack, while earlier authors still use just Guardi faccia. so yeah, I, I right. agree. But you're of course then just again having your, your right hand right in front of the right shoulder, so basically your left shoulder, right for shoulder, and the hand are forming one line towards the opponent, yeah. because you're just twisting yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. the, right. the hips mm-hmm. like you're still you're you're still keeping that structure but it's the hips that are kind of yeah. actually allowing that to kind of turn. Okay, I
1: completely yeah. agree. Perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um we had to lose uh Steven at the worst time possible because now we're going to talk about guardia Deentrey. Um so let's uh enter into discussion on this one here, Martin. Um Gordie Deentrey. What is it?
1: Yeah, so with Giovanni Dallagocci like I mentioned it's like the counterpart of Guardi Di Faccia. And he's very special on that one that I think all the other authors use it in a different way. But for him, like Guardi di Faccia, that, that palm up kind of position, sword extended towards the opponent, and Guardi d'Entrare is basically palm down, turning your true edge towards the outside, still being somewhat in a kind of profile, but like we just discussed, having the left shoulder maybe a bit more up than than before to just withstand that pressure on the outside line so that would be um dalagocchi's kind of deal and i think with uh Marozzo, well it's uh usually some kind of variant on inside on the inside guard where you're raising your hand towards the high inside line so basically like like a counterpart to guardia dalicono or becca chesa becca posa so if you're drawing that symmetry line right down the middle you're having that hand high on your left sword pointing forward.
0: Yeah, I think I think morazzo makes this so much more complicated cuz his illustrations like really hard to kind of like decipher. Um it looks like even between his two different texts he has two different hand positions. Um this is definitely one that we could kind of get into the weeds arguing about forever. Um the Anonimo uses Gordia d'Entraria a lot. And one of the things that Stephen wanted us to kind of point out is that it's like Gordia Alta, um, or Coda Lunga
1: Alta. And with the magic of post editing, here are Stephen's thoughts.
2: The Anonimo's equivalent to the Guardia d'entrare of Dalagocie is what the Anonimo calls Coda Lunga Alta. The idea is similar, it is almost always used as the position for a True Reg parry on the high outside line. In the fashion of the Anonimo Bolognese, the parry is formed by orienting the body, especially the belly button, in the direction of the attack. The true edge is placed over the attack with the blade angled somewhat toward the outside. In practice, I found that most people have the best success when the blade is halfway between a knuckles down position and a fingernails down position. The follow-up is naturally going to be a thrust. That's usually made with the left foot forward. One of the interesting things about this thrust in the Anonimo Bolognese is that in making this thrust, you're advised to pull your right foot near your left as you make the thrust. This way you get that little extra bit of reach. This is just like how you turn your shoulder when making the thrust on the inside. The Anonimo uses his guardia dentrari slash coda lunga alta Perry both as a single time defense and also as a peri repost kind of action. You can use it as a two-tempo defense when you are in Porta de Ferro's Stretta, for example. When an opponent attacks, simply make a half-turn of the body and extend your sword a bit over the opponent's attack. Then make your thrust as you pass left. The Anonimo also provides a description of a single-time counter-attack where you make the half-turn of the hand while stepping with your left foot, and then you go ahead and pull your right foot near to your left as you make the thrust. As to the attacks from Guardia d'Entrare slash Coralunga Alta, I can only remember one attack, and that is an Imbrocata, which for some reason goes to Guardia di Braccio, that is, over your left elbow that is then followed by a Punta Reversa or an Imbrocata Reversa, essentially an Imbrocata that goes from left to right. I've never done this with the sword alone, but Mancholino has something similar during the second verse of his first Assalto for the sword and the small buckler. And that's what Bolognese swordsmanship is all about, reading the sources for techniques, connecting techniques between different authors, then hitting your friends with said techniques.
0: One of the things I think that we need to emphasize is that there isn't agreement between the Bolognese authors at all on, on what Gorda de Entreri is. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, obviously Dalogokie uses it more like Seconda. Um, and we see that, that mechanic of that Seconda Perry used a lot in other systems. Um, whereas I see Gorda de Entreri a lot from like the other authors, almost like it's kind of it, honestly, I know when I say this, some people might cringe, but I always see it kind of like you're giving a deliberate weak – like you're stopping something on the inside, like on the left. But it's like you're doing so in a way where you're giving somebody a deliberately weak angle. So that way it's almost like a Copo de type mechanic mm-hmm. um, to take something from Fiore where you're just trying to get around to their outside. And it's almost like a reverse <laughs> uh Gwini <laughs> the Testa where you're just trying to like – Create a wall between you and your opponent so that way you can then step around to their outside. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Are, I think there are a lot of different ways to look at it.
1: I think, uh, Mancolino described that mechanic at least as well when he says, like, you parry in Guardi di Faccia and they basically break through your, the, the true edge of your blade and you duck underneath it and then you strike around with your reverso. So that's kind yeah. of that mechanic that is described. Yamarazzo yeah, really makes it, makes it hard to deal with because uh in his uh depiction with a single sword the the grip on the sword is drawn really weirdly so that would be like a kind of thibault grip which is yeah, um, like a
0: handshake grip
1: almost yeah it's yeah. it's it's with the with the index finger wrapped around the cross but the thumb is on the same side so it's like kind of that weird mix between a thumb grip and like the fingering grip so for that grip, like his false edge would be still pointing towards his inside and his true edge would be pointing towards his his outside, but he parries on the inside. So yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. But um yeah. with the two handed sword, it becomes a bit more clearer because there uh, it's like like that usual uh left ox kind of guard uh with the with the hands held up high towards the upper left and the swords just pointing towards the opponent.
0: And that's that's when it really starts to look like Fiori. Obviously, you've got much yeah. more of a direct influence there because you're talking about a two handed sword. But yeah, with the the single handed sword, it's a a little more unclear. I I I love the mechanic of Dalagogues Cordée d'Antreri, though. Like it, it's one of my like. It's a bread and butter action later on that we see for a reason. Like, there's this, like, you were talking about the hip mechanic with Gorda de Testa in particular, and you kind of get that that turn, and you can just go straight into Gorda de Testa or into um, Gorda de Entreri and start to get some counter attacking opportunities out of that. I think he usually thrusts like an Impercata out of that, right? Like, it's like you meet them in the middle in Gorda de Entreri, which is kind of like a higher, um, get like Coda Lunga Alta, I guess. <laughs> you know, um, and and uh, you can put it in a palm down position and then you can go ahead and start to rotate that up and you can grab your opponent's sword with the quillions of your sword or the crossguard of your sword will kind of like lock into your opponent um, as you're starting to turn that up into an imprecata. Um, and it's it's really beautiful. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of like deeper mechanics you can play with and get into.
1: Um, yeah, certainly. It's a really interesting guard. and for Marazzo, it's actually one of his favorite in the 200 sword section where he not only uses it to like that bread and butter motion of cutting around, but he also like, um after throwing a dritto, he just draws the sword back and then thrusts above, turning the hands again, closing the opponent out to the outside, which is also really beautiful and also a really nice follow-up action when you are going for that leg. You are covering high, you're drawing the sword back, and then you are thrusting in again and throwing a couple of mandritti f- uh, for for good exercise behind them.
0: Yeah, and and then you know we also see, uh, and this is this is where it kind of gets infinitely complicated. But with the anonymous, it's his favorite cover. So mm-hmm. a lot of times he finishes his actions, or even like thrusts in Gordia De Antreri. Um And I wish we had Stephen for this, but um, you know it is like he had described it almost like a Porta de Ferro Alta kind of thing. Um, but you're allowing that back leg a lot of times to turn, like there's a turning, a body turning mechanic. So it's almost like, uh, you go from a shoulder profile to the side position, almost the like shoulder reaching across. So it's like, you bring that back leg back and now it's like, you're, you're kind of almost like leaning into that, that position there. And it allows for a really dynamic cover and a lot of structure and posture behind that cover. Um, when you can give that Gordie de thrust or, um, parry, uh, but it is it. It does take. It's not. I don't. I don't know if it's quite in corta. Um, so mm-hmm. we see that there's an in corta parry that we see in the rapier traditions, um, and I think sometimes people kind of exaggerate it a little bit to almost an in corta type position. Um, yeah which is the amazing.
1: the the typical inquatata which uh, where yeah. you are almost like turning your back towards the opponent. <laughs> right. It looks li- um, really nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Palladini and Agrippa have a thing that they do um, where instead of allowing the back foot to turn so much that the back turns towards the opponent, uh, they actually step out with the right leg when they go Mm. into that encorta. So they're actually stepping into it with the the right leg um, instead. And that defies how uh, the Anonymous kind of describes it a little bit because it's usually the, the left leg following the right foot. but it could be, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Fabris and Capo do that as well with both feet. They just do, uh, they call it differently. It's I think it's Ganso della vita or something like that. So void of the body.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Um, Cool. So, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, Gorda d'entreri is one that, um, you know, will probably take some study and trying to understand from a foundational perspective. Unfortunately, it it really depends on what author you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, matrilino is like i don't even bother
1: <laughs> yeah definitely if you're doing any author you should look at what they have to say about Tower and just go from there because it's not that uniform as the other gods are
0: yeah true. all right so let's talk about um soprabacchio so oprah
1: <laughs> yeah, sopra braccio. Um, basically, it's just the opposite of sotto braccio, which is over the hand. So if you imagine having a buckler in your left hand and now your, your sword is on the left shoulder. So basically somewhere above your left hand, then it's probably in sopra From there, of course, um, there are a great many of reverso that you could throw. Which would be the most common attack, but um, you shouldn't discard the mandrito or any kind of Tramazzona as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, Michielino actually, you know, he's he's very liberal with how he attacks from from sopra braccio. He's uh, he's he's got a lot of of really interesting um, kind of play that he takes from there. He even thrusts a, a punto reversa from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a lot of kind of really cool actions, and there's a lot you can do with your footwork. But yeah, it, it's um. It is interesting because um, again, you've got your point offline, so it's pointed behind you, um, which is a, a powerful position. I mean, it's a, it's a chamber to action, um, you know, uh, what I was talking about earlier with some of the Anonymous left versus right plays, he does these falsos uh, because like if you are in quota stretta and you were to throw a falso at a left-handed person's hand, right? You might strike the outside of their hand, but you're chambering a reverso in the same action. It goes sopra brachio, So now it's over your shoulder and you come straight back down with a reverso on the other side. And they'll probably have to withdraw their hands, so they're already behind in tempo. And now they're bringing their point back to the middle, which now you're dominating with a really powerful Reverso mm-hmm. that's coming across your body. And it's it's a really uh, interesting mechanic that the Anonymous likes to play with. Um, and he does it with a Sword Alone. So um, something that's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely a really versatile guard. I wouldn't hold it with uh, with Sword Alone very often. It's not something I would, I would generally recommend. Um, I don't think any of the, the authors would, I think it's used very sparingly. Um, it is a position, like I said, with, against the left-hander in particular, uh, I think it's a very specialized action. So don't get me wrong and think, Hey, I can use Soprabacchio all the time. Um, but with Soprabacchio, it is one of those things where, uh, you are exposing your elbow to your opponent. Uh, so like, because your arm is up over your shoulder, you're basically presenting your elbow as, as, as something for your opponent to attack. Um, and if you don't have something to protect yourself, you're going to get hit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Marozzo actually uses this one kind of with 2 200 sword as well. And as yeah. he describes this as guardi di gombito, so like elbow guard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that after throwing a mandrito, he goes into there and from there he then again throws another reverso to go back into the line. But yeah, if, imagine like you're pulling your mandrito all the way through above your left shoulder then you're probably in that kind of card.
0: Nice. Um, So just to wrap this up, I want to kind of talk about something uh, in a way to kind of condense this all down. So um, one of the things that Vigiani is really good at, um, this is where I think Vigiani is really important because he talks about the nature of the cards. So, you know, you have Offensiva Perfecta, you have Defensiva Perfecta. Um, and I've condensed everything down kind of into just a general admonition of like good practice of how to read people when they're in a guard, because one of the things that we have to kind of get used to is where fencing is like, if you start just going through and saying that person is in Cordia Esopro in your head, you're going to get lost, you know, like analytically, you can't do that when you're fencing, like you need to break things down into a faster mode. Um. So uh, if if people check out our our Substack, there's an article that I wrote about about the guards. But um, to kind of break this down and using like everything that we just talked about about the general nature of the guards, um, this is what I I come kind of come up with. It's like six things to look out for. So is their sword on the left or the right? Right. If their sword is on the left, they're defensive. If their sword is on the right, they're offensive. That comes from uh, Vigiani, he talks about how, if the sword is on the left, it's defensive. If it's on the right, it's offensive. Um, so, you know, nothing too controversial there, um, in terms of like what we're talking about, um, the next bit comes from Manciolino, but is their sword high or low? Um, mm-hmm. if it's high, it's offensive. Um, if it's low, it's defensive, right? So, um, you know, it's, uh, that's, Michelino says that you know the, the high guards are good for attacking, the low guards are good for defending, and the only natural attack from a low guard is a thrust, right? So you can see how you can start to just like by condensing this down and having this more tactical approach, you can have a view of how to quickly read what's going to happen, what's going to come from your opponent's guard. Because if it's anything outside of the norm or what would be natural, then generally it's going to come with a bigger tempo. So it's easier to read. Right. So if your opponent defies convention, they are basically saying they're gonna to have to they're gonna to have to show you. So from a best practice perspective, this kind of helps you with that. And then of course we talked about whether or not the point is online or offline and what the sword can do, where if the point is offline, it's most likely going to be a cut, right? It can be a thrust, but again, they're gonna to have to do the unnatural thing, which is turn the hand, which is a tempo, to bring the point online to the thrust. And then um if it's online then it can give both a thrust and a cut. So you have six basic things that you can look for uh, with your opponent is, is their opponent, is their sword on the left or the right? Is it high or low? Is the point online or offline? And if you look at those six things, um, you can generally tell what is going to happen and and how you'll know how to, how to attack your opponent, right? Because if they're in an offensive guard, then they're not going to be good at giving defense, right? Um, If their point is offline, then, you know, that they're going to have to deliver a cut, which means that, um, you know, falsata and and feints and things like that are are really nice because that's a big tempo coming through. So, I mean, there's a lot you can kind of like really kind of like dig into that a little bit further to get into the tactics, which we'll get into in the next episode. But uh, what do you think about that, Martin?
1: Yeah, I really think that uh, some of the the tactical approach uh, that the guards and the attacks um, are starting here quite nicely. Because well, these are positions from where we are fighting, and that has uh has not to be forgotten, so we are always want to fulfill a purpose with a kind of movement and a kind of guard. And I really think that the guards that are named out here from the different authors, well, these are just like their way of fighting they like I said, they present to us lots of data, a lot of kind of information about that particular author, author like to fight because Vijani also says, well, there are an infinite amount of guards because every infinitesimal movement any any position could be named and he goes on a great uh turret about calling them with animals uh like falcon or alicorn or something like that so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even referencing vadi in there somewhere so um and he wants to to get you to think just about the essence because he wants uh he also describes that he doesn't want to teach you for a whole year but just want to wants you to to understand the essence of his fencing play so, yeah, I think, um, if we're talking about the, the general Bolognese guards, it's, it's great if you, if you can memorize that any Porta di Ferro guard is on the inside, any Codalonga guard is on the outside. Then there's a bit of shenanigans, which leg is forward, but, um, usually with Porta di Ferro, the right leg is forward, Chingaro Porta di Ferro, the left leg is forward. With Codalonga, it's a bit strange again. And then there's, uh, another modifier here, which, is Alta, stretta or Laga, which describes the height of the hand, basically. And then we have a bunch of High Guards, which are fairly self-explanatory, like Guardia Alta, it's the High Guard, the Guard of the Unicorn, okay, well, that's with the point forward. (laughs) (laughs) And Testa, it protects the head. uh, Faccia it's also with the point forward and protects the face very well. And Guardia Entraro, well, you better look at your author. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Hey, I'm... I think that's the perfect way to wrap it up. That was that was awesome. Um, thanks again, Martin, and uh, we'll see you again for the next episode.
1: Yeah, see you next time.